Pop Culture Playbook back at it with another episode. NBA playoffs round two. Um, we have two games that have already been underway. Heat Knicks, um, Nuggets, and Suns. Nuggets are up 1-0. Heat came back in the second half and are up 1-0 in New York. Let's start with the Nuggets versus Suns. Jokic and Jamal Murray played their asses off, especially Jamal Murray, 34 points. Um, Jokic, 19 rebounds, was killing everybody on the glass, including DeAndre Ayton, who we're going to get to right now. So DeAndre Ayton, interesting prospect coming into the league, 2017 class, was the number one overall player until Michael Porter reclassified, and those guys were one and two. If you look at him and you just look at his body type and his age, you would think second team All-NBA center, third team at worst. But that's just never been him. Is his basketball IQ not there? Are his minutes low? What's going on? Do you have off-court issues? We don't know. It doesn't seem like it. DeAndre Ayton seems like a good guy. Seems like he gets along with everybody pretty well. I know uh, just a couple years ago, he was wanting to be traded. Uh, Didn't know if he was going to sign back in Phoenix. But now he's here, starting center. You're running alongside Book, CP, and KD now. You've got to do something. You've got to fight for rebounds. You've got to get tip-ins. You've got to dunk the ball. You've got to inflict your body and not just not pain on the opponent, but they have to fear you a little bit. When they come into the lane and you just wall up against small guards, you're not blocking their shots and you're fouling them. No one's, no one's scared to go into the paint and go against you. KD has three blocks in the first quarter. You're DeAndre and you're 6'10", 6'11", great wingspan, great vertical, good athlete, can run baseline to baseline. When Jokic and KD were battling for rebounds, he's just kind of standing on the baseline, just watching. That kind of sums up his effort all the time anyway. I don't want to fault him directly for the Suns losing because they just got beat up straight up. They lost by 22 points. Jamal Murray decided to go off and they have no answer for Jokic. Problem is, is that the Phoenix Suns bench is going to continue to be their shortcomings of this playoff. Now, Devin Booker and KD are going to need to play 40 minutes a game in this series. Last game one, Booker was 40 minutes. KD was 36. They've proven in the first round against the Clippers that it's going to take miraculous performances from them to keep this boat afloat because without Kawhi and without PG, the Clippers still gave the Suns very good runs. And a couple of those games are a couple of possessions from going the Clippers' way. And we're talking about a whole different series, maybe game seven being played a couple of days ago. Um, Aaron Gordon, who was a very big bright spot in this game, 23 points, 9 of 13, hit three out of four of his three-pointers. He's just a guy that is going to always benefit from playing with a guy like Jokic who can get him easy baskets, throw the ball to him in transition outlet. And Jokic, with his shooting threat, opens up the lane for Gordon to drive. And I think this is the perfect series for Aaron Gordon. He doesn't really have anybody on Phoenix that's going to match up with him all game. He's more athletic than KD and stronger. Not really going to be able to put Josh Okogie on him. DeAndre Ayton probably isn't going to stay in front of him. And if he's on the floor with Jokic, then there's really nobody that is going to be able to put a body on Aaron Gordon. So I expect him to average or hover around 18 to 24, 25 points in this series. And especially at home, especially going into game two, I think that he also has a chance to, you know, have another good game. Christian Braun, Christian Brown, I don't really know which one it is yet. He 
played good 14 minutes in that game. Um, he only had one point, but he played really good defense and actually good defense on KD for what it's worth. You're never going to stop him, but if you can get better guys to contain him, then that's kind of all you can ask for. So Christian Brown, I guess we'll call him, that's what the announcers call him, had an interesting career at KU. You know, played three years, played in 101 games, so it shows you that he's a winner. He averaged 11 points per game, was 38% from three and five rebounds. I think on a playoff team, he's clearly shown that he can be more than serviceable on both ends. It's pretty early in his career for him to be a knockdown shooter in the playoffs. I know some guys come in to the NBA, you know, ready for those playoff moments, but I think that's going to, it's going to have to settle in for him. He could have a big game later on in this series, but as for right now, I think the Nuggets are very good with just giving him quality minutes that he could play good defense and whatnot. So KD and Book, these guys going into game two are going to need to have 30 points apiece. And I don't want to make it seem like it's, you know, the worst thing ever. Or they have to be so urgent and they have to get to a hot start. But the Nuggets got to a hot start in game one and never really looked back. Jamal Murray was feeling it early. Jokic was doing whatever he wanted in the paint, uh, doing whatever he wanted on the perimeter passing. And Aaron Gordon, obviously, was getting whatever he wanted at the rim and on the three-point line. Michael Porter Jr. filling in. I expect him to have a better game going into game two, especially with it being at home. I don't want to spend too much time on each series, because especially with a series that's also it's already started, game has already been played. So let's go to Heat Knicks, and let's get to this game one. When we first started watching this game, it looked like the Knicks were going to ride the home crowd and take game one. The Knicks crowd was in it. You can't say enough about the Knicks playing playoff basketball at home. I know we got it a couple years ago when Atlanta played New York, but New York really wasn't ready yet. They just had a really good season from Julius Randle, all NBA. Trey Young and the Hawks eliminated them, but it was nice to see New York back in the playoffs. But now this time around, the Knicks are expected to win and they won that first round series. But going against the Heat, who just came off crazy upset, by the Bucks, A lot of people in Miami and Miami Heat fans will tell you that they kind of expected to win that series. I don't really believe them, but I don't think anybody can say that they saw the Heat winning in five. So Julius Randle being out this first game and potentially the next game, it's a, it's a very, very, very big loss for the Knicks because he is the ultimate neutralizer for that team. And if he gets going from three, then he is very hard to stop. You can pretty much pencil him in for 25 and 10, almost every single game when he starts out really well. But if he's not playing well and his body language is all over the place and, you know, he's in foul trouble, then he's going to get stuck on the bench like he did last series. Yes, Jalen Brunson is very good. We'll get to his shooting performance in a second. In the playoffs, you need that next co-star because Quentin Grimes isn't giving it to you. R.J. Barrett is going to be very up and down this series. Just R.J. Barrett in general home. I think the crowd gives him a lot of confidence, but I still think he tries to force a lot of things. Same kind of story on him I've had since I started watching him at Duke was that for him to be successful in the NBA any longer, probably after this season, he's going to need to be able to go right. And not only just dribble right, but finish right, make the defenders think that you know, he's not just going to just bowl into you going left, put his shoulder into you and just go right all, all the way to the rim. Because as of right now, he doesn't really have an in-between game going any way. And so if he does develop that right hand, I think that he can just take another step as a player. But if he doesn't, he's going to be stuck in that role of uh, you're good, but we're not going to pay you max money or we might pay you, but you definitely might be on the trade block if something slightly better comes along. On the flip side of that, you have you have Miami, who 
has Jimmy Butler going for 25 and 11, and he rolled his ankle in the second half and was kind of a decoy pretty much after that. But guys are stepping up on their team. Gabe Vincent, who, you know, him and Max Struess pretty much take turns going for 20 and hitting threes. I don't really know about Gabe Vincent shooting 16 shots in a playoff game, 12 of them being threes. If that's how Miami is going to play, then that's how Miami is going to play. I, I don't think it's going to lose them games because they just beat the Bucks. So whatever formula they have now, I'm just going to trust it. But him and Max Struess are pretty much that next option after Bam Adebayo. If they're not hitting shots in the game, it's going to be close. But if these guys are really scoring and even getting to the rim and shooting the mid-range and, and just playing free, then I don't really see Miami having a tough time with the Knicks. Now, obviously, you know, the series waivers, I expect the Knicks to come back in game two and and really be right, especially if Julius Randle comes back. But Bam Adebayo, 16 and 8. I think he needs to take more advantage of Julius Randle being out. I expected Bam to have a, a 20 and 10 type of game with Julius Randle being out, but just the way the game falls, it, it didn't happen. But with Julius being out, Jimmy on a bad ankle, I think in game two, that the offense is going to have to run through Bam out of bio at the high post. And if he's going to hit the mid-range shot, then the Miami Heat are going to be in a great position. But if he's not and he's struggling or he gets in foul trouble early, Miami is going to have a tough time winning game two. Kyle Lowry, 18 points, six assists. Had four blocks in that game as well. 18 points from Kyle Lowry uh, in Tyler Hero's absence. Can't say enough about a guy who's a champion, who's been there before, who has stepped up um, for his team in Toronto multiple times. You, you know, Miami's going to need a guy like that. Miami also has Kevin Love, another guy who's a champion and hit big shots in big moments. Last series, Kevin Love was killing the Bucks. It seems like as, as if the Bucks didn't even have him on a scouting report, but now he's hitting shots again. He's two for five in game one. You don't need a huge performance out of Kevin Love. If he can hit a couple threes and keep your honest and keep, his, keep the floor space, then, you know, that's really all you can ask him. Obviously, he's going to rebound. He's going to give you good outlets, which are always you know, good boost for transition offense and just quick buckets. So it's going to be interesting to see where his health and where his legs are at in game two. If he has to fill in for, you know, fill in more minutes because Jimmy's, you know, not playing or because Bam's in foul trouble, then I think the Heat have now, they can now trust Kevin Love to, you know, play serviceable minutes. A big surprise for the Knicks, we'll get to um, Obi Toppin before we get to Jalen Brunson. Obi Toppin has turned into a three-point shooter on offense. Yes, he's still very athletic, catching lobs, dunking, running in transition, getting layups and hand ones. But shooting 11 threes, I don't really think that's something a lot of people saw Obi Toppin doing coming out of college. Yes, you know, college player of the year at Dayton, had Dayton as a number one seed before COVID. I think a lot of people forgot kind of how good Obi Toppin was in college. And him getting into the league, obviously his game needed to change. He's not going to be able to just jump over everybody and run past everybody. But the Knicks have done a good job of turning his game around on offense. If you told me that he would have made four threes in a playoff game, I would have looked at you crazy or said that maybe he's just doing this in garbage time. But it's really good to see Obi Toppin kind of transform his game a little bit. That's why guys in the NBA get drafted like that because they're already so athletic and they're already so tall, arms long and have this jumping ability that there's so much to work with that if you get a guy who works hard and is willing to work on his game and willing to be self-aware that like, look, this is what I need to do to advance my game or, you know, just me being this special athlete isn't going to cut it anymore. If you get guys that are willing to work, this is what you get. I guarantee you next season, Obi Toppin is probably taking 
five to seven threes a game and probably hitting around a 30 to 35 percent clip, which may not sound great, but it's definitely an improvement from where he's coming in out of Dayton. Lastly, we have Jalen Brunson, 25 points, but 0 for 7 from 3. I don't anticipate that happening again. I don't anticipate him coming out and hitting five threes, but I just a better performance from Jalen Brunson is bound to come. I think he probably goes for 30, has a couple threes, gets to the line, and gets that New York Knick crowd back into it, and they tie it one-to-one. Jalen Brunson, can't say much more about him either. He He's that guy, man, and... The Knicks only lost by seven points. Not like the Knicks got blown out. I did expect them to win. So seeing them lose was very surprising. But I'm not worried about Jalen Brunson as long as he stays healthy, stays off the ground in this playoff series. They shouldn't have anything to worry about going into game two. Last two notes on the Knicks. Knicks need more from Quentin Grimes. I think that's pretty apparent to all Knicks fans. And then Emmanuel quickly looked a little shaky in game one. I'm willing. I'm ready to see what he looks like in game two if, if the nerves are starting to get to him or not. Celtics 76ers game one that tips off tonight, Monday, May 1st. Joel will be out for game one. Sucks because he did miss game four of the Brooklyn series, but I don't think a lot of people paid attention to that really or thought about how severe it was because Brooklyn was just bad. I think everybody knew going into that game that Philadelphia was going to take care of business. The Celtics have had their number for I don't know how many years now, and even in the regular season, Joel had that one 50-point game, but... Nobody on the Celtics was playing at all. And, you know, shout out to Joel. He's probably going to get MVP. But the 76ers, I just feel like they have their number. Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown. I feel like it's going to be one of those series for them as a duo where we look back at this series and be like, why is anybody talking about trading Jalen Brown or him signing somewhere else? Um, These two should stick together forever. Not saying that they should, but I think we'll come out of this series saying that because I, I can easily see in game one, at home, Jalen and Jason are both going for 30 apiece. Tyrese Maxey, he's going to have to be he's going to have to be huge in Joel's absence. I think even James Harden is probably going to rely on him to create, push the ball in transition. And, you know, how Tyrese handles the pick and roll, whether they play drop coverage on him or not, I don't know. But he's going to have to shoot the ball well from three for the 76ers to have a chance. Yes, Tobias is going to have to step up. Yes, James Harden is going to have to step up. But I think this series is going to come down to how well Tyrese Maxey plays. But I also think it's going to come down to the bench. Whose bench is going to do more heavy lifting? Obviously, Malcolm Brogdon, sixth man of the year, well-deserving. Can't state enough of how much of a help he is to this Celtics team. And they're just their overall identity and when he's in the game, it looks like everything is just under control. He hits his open shots. He gets to the line. He gets other guys involved. He's just that perfect. He's that perfect bench piece. And I think on any lesser of a team that he's definitely a starting point guard. Grant Williams, who the Celtics have pretty much slaughtered his value for free agency coming up. A bunch of DNPs late in the season. Not very many minutes in the playoffs. Um, hasn't been shooting the ball super well. But he is a good defensive option for the Celtics. And in this series, I expect him to be a better matchup against Joel, be a better matchup against Tobias. And I think he's just going to be a little more important than he was last series. I don't think Grant's offense is necessarily going to be there because I think his rhythm has just kind of been shot by the Celtics and that's their fault, but it is what it is. Sam Hauser, Rob Williams, Sam Hauser is going to have to hit shots. That's all it is. That's all it's ever going to be for him. Rob Williams is going to have to be protecting the rim and putting a big body on Joel when he is healthy because they need guys to block his shot. They need guys that can guard Joel 
at the mid post, if you're just going to let Joel jab and drive or jab and shoot from the free throw line, then you're not going to win. But I think Rob Williams is athletic enough and smart enough, you know, to know how to play that. As far as the 76ers bench, P.J. Tucker is going to have to hit those corner threes. It's going to be huge for him this series. Him also rebounding the ball. This game one is going to be a huge rebound game for him. De'Anthony Melton, shooter off the bench. Nothing really much else I could say about that. He played really well against Brooklyn, was hitting his shots. Kind of a guy I kind of forgot about um, until he, he was playing. And he just, you know, is a really good asset. If the 76ers do fall down bad 0-1, I could see Joel coming back for that game too. But if Joel is out for that game too and the Celtics do go up 2-0, it's going to be a very... It's going to be a very long two games in Philly. And I'm not saying the Celtics are going to sweep, but if the Celtics get these two off at home very easily, I could see this series ending in five and, you know, maybe six if the if the 76ers somehow come out with one. Okay, so last series, most important series of the playoffs right now, we do have Warriors versus Lakers. And this is exciting for me because obviously, you know, I'm a LeBron guy, but I am also a huge Steph Curry fan. And Steph Curry versus LeBron has been the best NBA rivalry since 2015. And I think it's going to be that way until they retire. We haven't gotten LeBron and Steph in the playoffs. We got the playing game, which was cool, but it's the playing game. Steph had 37 points in that game. LeBron had 27, 11, and 10. LeBron hits that three where he claims that his he couldn't see the rim. He saw three rims and shot it in the right one, whatever. They won that. That was a rebuilding year for the Warriors and a very odd season for the Lakers who ended up getting bounced in the playoffs um, by the Suns pretty easily. So Steph versus LeBron. Steph Curry is 25 and 18 versus LeBron, 15 and seven in the playoffs. Head to head, Curry, 24 points per game, five rebounds, 6.3 assists. LeBron is 30, 10 and eight pretty much against Curry. LeBron has outscored Curry 30 games to 11. Um, like I said, in that playing game, Steph Curry at 36, LeBron tripled over with 27. That was the last time they ch- played each other in the playoffs. Um, the energy is just going to be different. I think AD is just as important as LeBron in this series. He's going to neutralize Looney on the boards, who Looney killed on the boards against the Kings in that game seven. Um, Sabonis, a bunch of questions about him, but let's stay on this series. AD is going to need to neutralize Looney. He's going to need to stay on the floor and stay off the ground. If AD has any chance of helping the Lakers advance to the Western Conference Finals, it's going to be him averaging 25 and 12 and probably three or four blocks a game, just like the last series. The biggest X factor for this series is going to be LeBron's jumper. He was 1.3 out of 6.8 attempts from three against Memphis, averages out to be lower than 25%. His three-pointer, he's going to have to shoot him. He's going to have to take him. He's going to have to make him. There's going to be games where LeBron shoots eight or 10 threes, and that's that's going to be what it is because that's how the Warriors play. They're going to force LeBron to shoot those threes. He's going to have to make them. That's pretty much how the Warriors have played LeBron pretty much his whole career going back to Cleveland is don't let this guy get in the paint. Don't let him just dictate the pace. But if all else, make LeBron beat you from outside of the paint, outside of free throw line extended. The most athletic matchup for the Lakers was Memphis throughout the whole entire playoffs. I think the Lakers are more athletic than any other team that they'll face the rest of the way. So defensively, I'm wondering how that's going to be for the Warriors stopping LeBron and AD because I don't really think that the Warriors can. I think I don't think they're built to do that. I think they're built to outscore the Lakers, but I don't think that they have enough defensive firepower to stop everybody. Obviously, Wiggins is a great defender. Klay Thompson has stepped up his defense. Gary Payton II is another guy who 
we'll see a lot of minutes this series. But guys like Jordan Poole, um, even Kayvon Looney himself, I think they're going to have a hard time guarding this series. And it's going to be inter- interesting to see if if the Lakers can get Looney in foul trouble. Who are they bringing Jermichael Green off the bench to guard AD? If that's, you know, if that's your solution, then good luck. Gary Payton might be on D'Angelo Russell or Austin Reeves this series, which, you know, is a good matchup for the Warriors. But at the same time, if him and Draymond on the floor at the same time, that's that's zero shooting. Draymond's off the floor and Gary Payton is on the floor. What big body is in that's going to give the Warriors trouble on defense and offense? You have Russell at the one, Reeves two, Vanderbilt three, LeBron four, Davis five. Vanderbilt, obviously, I would only expect him to make shots this series, but he's going to have a huge, huge, huge defensive assignment against Wiggins and Steph. I think he guards pretty much every good scorer that the Warriors have. He's going to be asked to do a lot on defense. Austin Reeves, he's just going to have to continue to play how he did against Memphis. Hitting the open shots, driving closeouts, making the right reads, making good passes. He's going to have to be you know, LeBron's offensive sidekick in this series, outside of AD, of course. And then D'Angelo Russell, who is pretty much the biggest wild card on this Lakers team because he has the ability to go for 25-30, but he also has the ability to go for, you know, 12, 13 points with a bunch of turnovers, a bunch of missed shots, some bad shots taken. Um, But, you know, that's who D'Angelo Russell has kind of been, and it's going to be great to see him in his next series take it personal. He used to play for the Warriors. They kind of gave up on him. He was just kind of a middleman between trades, and we'll see if D'Angelo Russell kind of has a little revenge Revenge series against the Warriors. Steph and Clay, they're going to have to do their thing. I think it comes down to Wiggins and how he's going to play this series. Draymond, we know what we're getting from him. I think the 21 point game against Sacramento was kind of false hope. Not to say that the Kings just let him do it, but I don't see Draymond having 20 points against the Lakers with how many bodies they have inside. Looney's going to have to stay out of foul trouble this series. I think that's the ultimate thing for him. I think if the Lakers can just get AD, to play physical, block his shot, and then on offense, attack him really hard, get him in the air, pump fake him, get him, you know, in a couple early fouls. I think that's going to be a big key for the Lakers. I think you see it a lot of times down the court where AD will set up in the low block or set up in the mid post. Lakers won't even really throw a proper entry pass. They'll take it from the three-point line to the key and just lob it over to AD in the post and then play off of that. I expect them to come down the first couple possessions in that series and do that. If the Warriors can hold up inside against AD, I think they have a really good chance. But I do think the Lakers just have too many, too much power on the wing for Golden State to really be able to just handle it. Jordan Poole, I think it's kind of make or break time for him. Not the most urgent thing ever because he did just sign his deal. But I think this is this series is going to prove whether the Warriors can count on him long term. I don't necessarily think so. I'm not the biggest fan of his game, but I, I, I see where, you know, he compliments Steph and Clay. Do I think that he benefits from playing with Steph and Clay? Sure. He has shown that he has skill, shown the ability to score. He can't guard anybody. And that's a lot of guys in the league, but he really has a tough time just staying in front of people and, you know, not reaching and just making bonehead plays on defense or not in help. He's not going to block your shot. He's not going to steal. He's not going to rip you on the ball. And so for him to be as bad on defense as he is, while also offensively kind of just being a wild card, it's a bad spot for the Warriors to be in. Because when Jordan Poole gets the ball, he wants to dribble it. He wants to take six, seven, eight dribbles. He wants to put the ball between his legs, behind the back, spin, shoot a one-legged fadeaway. Like 
the way that he plays, the way that he plays and the immaturity that he shows, you can kind of just get a sense of, okay, I see where Draymond might have been coming from. And I don't want to be I don't want to be totally disrespectful, but when you have somebody with that immaturity and then the way that he plays and how reckless it is and how and it's not super selfish because he does pass the ball, but he only will pass the ball if he 100 percent does not have a shot opportunity. And that's just not the style of basketball that the Warriors have branded themselves on ever since really Steph caught fire in 2014 and 2015. So it's going to be up to Jordan Poole a lot to really prove that he can make smart plays and that he can handle the ball and that he can let Steph rest when he needs to. Lakers bench, it's going to be a big series for Rui, Hachimura, Dennis Schroeder. If Malik Beasley can hit shots, that's probably the only way that he's going to stay on the floor. Troy Brown and Lonnie Walker kind of long shots to get a lot of minutes in the series. I do think these series matchups and lineups will definitely be different then their lineups in round one, this pace will be a lot slower than Kings and Warriors. And I don't think the Warriors are just going to fold over for the Lakers how the Grizzlies did. Warriors bench, obviously I mentioned Poole. DiVincenzo is going to be another key piece off the bench offensively for them. Gary Payton is going to have to sit down and guard at least three different guys during this series. I don't know if the Warriors want to count on Jonathan Kaminga. It seems like a good matchup for Jonathan Kaminga because, well, I mean, the Warriors need guys like him on defense just have a body on guys on offense hit shots and be athletic and rebound but there's not really much of the words can ask from Jonathan Kamingo while basing their whole offense around two guys Michael Green he really will only play a lot of minutes if Kayvon Looney is fouling Kayvon Looney's gonna have his hands full with AD so I do expect Michael Green to get minutes but obviously don't count on him to do anything other than just to be a big body to either foul AD or to just tire him out. Moses Moody's uh, the last one who comes, not the last person who comes off the Warriors bench, but a guy that wasn't really seeing minutes in the Kings series. He saw minutes in game seven, hit some shots, played really well. I think he played well enough to get minutes in this next series, which is always what you want to do as a role bench guy. You always want to, you know, If you're going to get those five minutes, make those five minutes the best five minutes. Because if you maximize those five minutes, you'll get seven minutes. If you maximize those seven minutes, you'll get 10 to 12 minutes. And the trust from your coaches in playoffs, it really comes game by game. So it's really a kind of a last impression thing. Like if Malik Beasley is going to go 0 for 5 from 3 in game one, he might even get a DMP in game two. I don't think they should give up on him like that. But, you know, in the playoffs, when it gets deep into the playoffs like this, you know, Every possession counts, and you can't have wasted possessions. If somebody's going to be tired, then I'll take the tired, really good guy over the fresh guy who hasn't been in a rhythm in over a month. So that is my round two kickoff podcast. Like I said, as of right now, it is 1-0 Nuggets over the Suns, and the Heat have a one-game lead on the Knicks. I will be back on air in a couple of days to give a recap over the first couple of games of this series, but... As always, my name is Cameron Scales. This is Pop Culture Playbook, and I will catch y'all later.